0: Young guys come back. A lot of them, when when people come back during good times, things are easy. When people come back during hard times, it's hard, but they, you really weed out the ones who love it and are willing to work for it and the ones who aren't. I will fully admit, I screwed up a couple things. I mean, in all honesty, by me choosing farming, I was shunned by most of my family. I, I'm not supported by the majority of that portion of the family. I was supposed to be I had a guaranteed internship at Goldman Sachs. It's it is what it is.
1: Why why did farming remain a good option through that journey when it was rough at first?
0: Uh honestly that's painful. Uh when I started farming and I started taking over, I changed the way we farmed quite a bit. My grandfather it was myself, my dad, and my grandfather. And my grandfather really didn't like the way I changed the farm. And he told me that. He's very disappointed in me. Well, shortly before he died, uh, we were talking and he wasn't doing well and he, he looked at me and actually told me the first for the first time. He was proud of what the farm had become. He finally grasped what we were changing. And he asked me to promise to never give it up. And... Growing up through a bad divorce... My grandparents took care of me. So... Excuse me here. I always get choked up about this.
1: That's good. You're good. So,
0: so. I promised my grandpa I would ensure his legacy as my own. And that was a major driving force and still is.
1: So do you think today he he looks at you? He, you know, even more proud.
0: I hope so. I mean, to light the mood, it's it's funny. Every every farmer I know, we eventually we we make a mistake. We do something stupid, drive into something, <laughs> break something. And you could almost kill yourself. And the first thing that every farmer does is look over their shoulder and go, shit, did dad see me? I can tell you, I do this still today where I'll look, I'll do something, something will happen. I'll, shit, did grandpa see me? That is the number one thing I do. It just doesn't even occur to me that he's passed away. And I mean, That man has taught me so much about the way I live today on loving his family.
1: We all want to do right by our families, parents, and grandparents. The next generation of farmers are no different. Most of us have heard the stories of young kids who leave farming for the big city, never to return. But as it turns out, More and more young people are returning to farming after years spent away from the field. Some who've left the farm have rediscovered their love of the land and the opportunities that await them, while others are leaving to pursue higher education with firm plans of returning to take over their own family operations upon graduation. They're savvy, they're smart, and armed with experience and knowledge gained through other industries. They mean business. What's inspiring these changes? Are the economic prospects of farming growing? Is there a reignited drive for agriculture among young folks? Or is there a growing sense that, for young minds looking to ensure the legacy of generations past, farming is a way to make both a living and a way to leave something behind? This is episode 13 of The Growing Debate. The Growing Debate is a podcast that questions beliefs about agriculture and our world. Our podcast is sponsored by Corteva AgriScience, so you'll get an inside look at modern farming and the important issues that surround it. I'm your host, Diego Footer. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. So, what kinds of young people are being drawn back to farming?
0: Hi, my name is Vichelle White. I farm in central Iowa in a little town called Rhodes. Uh, We raise corn and soybeans, and we feed uh, beef cattle, as well as run a precision business. And my wife and I have two girls, and technically I'm a fifth-generation farmer. I just literally turned 42 last week, so I am young. In (laughs) people terms, I feel like I'm old as dirt.
1: That's for sure. He's seen both sides of the field, started in farming, left the industry, and then returned after a short hiatus. Our second guest is much younger, but no less capable.
2: Hi, my name is Hannah Esch, and I am the owner and operator of Oak Barn Beef. Oak Barn Beef is in West Point, Nebraska, and we sell um, my family farm beef and another family farm's beef directly to consumers across the United States, uh, offered on our website, oakbarnbeef.com. I am a recent graduate from University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I just graduated from there. At this time, five months ago, or six months ago,
1: Hannah is in her early 20s. In farming terms, that's as green as grass. But she has big plans for what she'd like to accomplish in the industry. I wanted to know from both our guests, where does a passion for something as high-risk as farming come from? Is it inborn, or does it grow over time? So fifth-generation farmer is a kid. You were probably around a lot of fields, a lot of farm equipment growing up. If you think back, you know, 32 years ago, what was your vision of farming then as you saw it?
0: Honestly, it I didn't want to do anything with farming when I when I was a kid. My parents divorced. I actually grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. I love my family, but when I say I'm a fifth generation farmer, statistically I shouldn't exist. Cause statistically, businesses fall apart. And terms over multiple generations. The the adage of first generation earns it, second generation spends it, third generation loses it. I, I think it's less than 3% of businesses will go through three generations in a family. So I had no interest. I wanted to be an architect and a chef. And when I was a little kid, I, I was like any little kid. It was like Nintendo, man. It's... Who didn't want to just play Mario Brothers and and be on the A-team, to be frankly honest.
1: Right, right. Driving that red striped van around town. With,
0: <laughs> with B.A. Baracus.
1: Yeah, there you go. I pity the fool. Uh, yep. In, in thinking of that, I mean, what was it? Uh, was it, I didn't want to be a farmer or I didn't have interest in farming? Because I think they're very different.
0: Uh... That is a good, true statement. I I didn't find farming that interesting at that time. I liked farming. I liked looking at tractors. I, I had plenty of farm toys. It just... My parents raised me not to... They didn't want me to be forced into farming. And they wanted me to spread out. And I'm in a unique situation where... Our family is very diverse. Uh, my mother was uh, had a PhD in molecular biology, and she's from Hong Kong. You are probably listening to one of the only half Asian farmers in in Middle America, actually. And like all my uncles and aunts are investment bankers in Hong Kong and Singapore. So I just had a very diverse view of the world, and. Farming was always there, but there was not there wasn't the passion in it until I was older and I realized the drive that one can have to it. I actually really didn't come back to the farm till I think my sophomore year of college, and I had another job already. and My dad asked me if I would help, and, and the the story he will tell is it was great for the first six months. I would show up every day, bushy-eyed, bright-eyed. All right, it's time for another set of great classics. Starting right now, only on
1: 105 Classics.
0: And I'd say, what do you want me to do, Dad? And over that time, I started getting the entrepreneurial spirit and falling in love with everything in farming. And as he put it, the next six months after that was... I'd show up and be like, Dad, this is what I think we should do. And he goes, a year happened. And then all of a sudden he's like, Dad, today you're gonna go do this, and I'm taking care of this, this, and best." And he goes, it just evolved. And it, it was an organic growth. And it wasn't actually a set career path I had. It was something I fell in love with and I have the deepest, richest passion in it. No one goes into farming saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to get rich farming. You do it because you love it.
1: For Vachelle, it was a slow burn that led him back to farming, but a bright one. Hannah's story is a little different. She was more dead set on returning to agriculture from the get-go.
2: So I grew up in more of an urban area in Colorado until I was 13. So about 40 minutes north of Denver, we just lived on an eight acres of an acreage. So some of my favorite things from a young age were inviting people out to the farm and I could show them around, teach them about cattle, uh, chickens, horses. We had all sorts of animals there. So that was really fun. And then when, we, when I was 13, we moved to uh, Nebraska where we really expanded our cattle operation on our home place. And I, my passion for agriculture industry like completely flourished when we moved. I got to be more hands-on with that aspect and um, a lot more of a rural area too. So it was both sides of the story.
1: What was it about that move to Nebraska and having the cattle that ignited that passion?
2: I'd say there were quite a few different impacts, but the first one was being introduced to a new industry. So when we lived in Colorado, it was more around um, like the livestock show industry where you're, you have a show animal and you're taking them to shows and it's kind of a different industry than a commercial cow-calf herd. And so when, and what that means basically is um, growing or raising cattle. And so it was a lot of a new industry that I was introduced into. And I really love that aspect of it.
1: It's clear that for both Vichelle and Hannah, their decision to pursue agriculture has everything to do with passion. That might be true for a lot of next generation growers. Despite the average age of farmers climbing nationwide, 58 years in 2018, there has been a 2.2 percent increase in new farmers entering the industry between the ages of 25 and 34. Just the second time in 100 years, this age group has actually grown. Yeah, I mean that, that passion for agriculture is is interesting, and it brings us to really kind of the core of this episode, where you aren't seeing a lot of generational turnover in farming, and I, I think part of that is kids grow up on farms and they maybe see their parents either struggling economically as a business, they kind of inherited farming, where your your parents chose that lifestyle. So if you think back 10 years ago, do you think your view of how they viewed the business of agriculture skewed your desire to want to become more involved in it?
2: I think... Seeing them and working with them on the farm did skew my desire to stay involved in this industry just because it takes a family and everyone has to be pitching in in order to make it work. And that's something that I think has really developed me and my sisters into being the people who we are. And I see that's something I want for my future children as well.
1: Speaking of children, I had to wonder... For young farmers looking to someday support a family that might eventually inherit their acres, do they see farming as economically viable and sustainable in the long run? Is that one of the driving reasons young folks want to own and operate a farm?
0: I I don't know a single entrepreneur in any business that starts something that says, I'm doing this because I'm going to get rich. And they do it for a long time. They most entrepreneurs do something because they have drive, love and passion and and they want to make it work. And they, they do everything they can to try to make it work.
1: I think you're dead on there and I a hundred percent agree. And I think one key ingredient to that entrepreneurial soup is there has to be a, a financial viability to whatever it is you're doing. And I think, for right or for wrong, farming gets this rap of well, you you can't make a living doing it.
0: The same is true with though. Like if I were to open a restaurant, on average, I'm gonna go bankrupt. I don't. I'm not a famous chef that opens restaurants because I'm gonna make a lot of money on it. I mean, there's very very few of those in this world. Uh but that being said. Not everyone should make money at every business. Just because you ordain that you want to do something doesn't mean you should.
1: What are your thoughts on younger people not selecting agriculture because they don't see it as a viable economic option for a career?
2: I think you have to get creative a little bit. So there's, I mean, you can go the traditional commodity route of agriculture, but there are a lot of other ways to add revenue streams and diversify your operations so that you are protected when the markets go down a lot. Nowadays, I think I've heard a lot throughout my college career and still now about the importance of diversifying and bringing new ideas back into the operation which I think most people who are returning to their family's operation have that mindset, and that may be why they see it as a viable option.
1: Hannah makes a good point. Young people have a lot of insights to bring back to their families, new ways of doing things that could improve and accelerate the profitability of their operations. Combined with the historical knowledge and expertise of generations before, this passing on of intergenerational farming tactics could be the lifeblood that sustains the industry through both good and hard times. When you look at how you're selling beef today, what do you think you have to do different and and yet earn enough to make a living?
2: I think it all comes down to marketing and having a powerful marketing plan and abilities in order to market your product. As of right now, like I, I only sell on e-commerce and that wasn't an option when my parents were getting started or those generations before us. Um, I almost ship all of the products. I do have some local deliveries, but that probably was unheard of as well. And people would not be as open to purchasing beef online back then. I As far as like the land and in that goes, I... <sighs> I mean, regenerative agriculture and and really taking care of the grass has always been a priority to my family. And making sure that we use rotational grazing practices where the cows aren't depleting the grass source so that the the pasture can um, revitalize quicker has been a priority for us. but a lot has changed since then and, and with a strong marketing plan and being able to share that story and specifically like in a cost effective way like social media, that's been a big difference maker where I can connect with a lot of people who I would not have had access to prior to social media era and I would have had to pay um, quite a bit of money for advertising for radio, uh, a TV, you know, more of those traditional ones. So just the ability to market to a bigger audience and and market a differentiated product is is a lot different than something my parents would have faced.
1: But as Vichelle tells it, sometimes creativity, viability, and new techniques aren't enough. Sometimes, in farming, you have to fail.
0: My I was lucky. My dad let me be in charge shortly after, probably prematurely before I should have. But he let me take the reins of the farm and go. And and I made some mistakes and we had some tough weather in markets. It was a manic Monday in the financial markets. The Dow tumbled more than 500 points. I mean, one of the cattle crashes of earlier this, of the 2000s, I've calculated it out. I lost over $300,000 in less than 30 days, which is a big deal at the time. I, I look at it and I'm like, wow, not every one of my friends can lose literally a really nice house in less than 30 days. Uh, and, and so I went back to work in town because I was viable.
1: After turbulent times on the farm, Michelle took up a job at Pioneer Hybrid International, a seed company. In Des Moines, Iowa, but he still kept tabs on things back at the farm, working the equivalent of two jobs to keep things afloat.
0: That was actually one of the best things for me. I was in strategy and mergers and acquisitions for quite a while, and, and I learned to be a better boss. I learned better business scalability same time I was getting my MBA. It was one of the hardest things in my marriage to have me work two full-time jobs. And when I was able to get the farm turned around and things at pioneer. I had to make a choice on which one. And that was one of the hardest decisions for me to do because I love both careers. But in the end, the passion around farming is what overridden it. Uh, And that's where I'm at today.
1: Failure is always a possibility, no matter what industry you choose. And the best way to protect against the failure is to diversify your assets through multiple revenue streams, be it another job, crop, or business venture. But there's another component that might make for farming success and stave off farming failure, a strong agricultural education. What was the impetus for you for for deciding to go to school for agriculture versus just take the reins of the family business and kind of run with it.
2: My family's operation is not big enough for me to to return home and provide for a salary for me and, and my future family and my parents. That, that wasn't ever an option for me.
1: We should note that while she was raised on a farm with her parents, Hannah no longer farms with them. Because of the circumstances just mentioned, she works with her fiancé on their cattle operation.
2: In addition to that, I've always been persuaded and and motivated by my parents saying that you need to go to college to get that education and bring back all that newfound knowledge that maybe, I mean, they went to school 30, 35 years ago. So a lot has changed and especially in agriculture during that time. So if I was going to return back, then I need to bring some of that and add value to the operation.
1: Where do you think the state of ag education lies today? And I, I'm sure any place or every place is going to be different. Do you feel like it's preparing the grads for success in, in today's times, or do you feel like it's behind the curve? I think a, not just in ag, but in many fields, people feel like the universities are are lagging behind and... Yet there's this base of knowledge you need to know to be successful. But then there's this also kind of creativity, like you said, street smarts that you need to learn outside of school. They're just, they can't keep up with it in school. It's
2: just changing too fast. Yeah, I really agree with the fact that the, most of my learning during college came outside of the classroom, you know, that the class gave me... um some standard knowledge, but from the networking opportunities and opportunities I had within my entrepreneurship program and other programs like that are what really helped me learn and feel like I got the worth of like my college tuition out of college. Um you have to network and make those connections and continue learning by yourself. Otherwise otherwise you might you you won't grasp the whole concept of whatever industry you're going into.
1: It seems the numbers support the idea of education as a pillar of modern farming. As farms become more high-skilled than high-tech operations, the rate of farmers and ranchers with higher education degrees in agriculture are growing at a rate of about 4% each year. That's a striking contrast from first and second generation farmers who were often taught everything they needed to know on the job. I wanted to know, economic and educational prospects aside, is it still possible for modern young producers to run a farm and a family at the same time? Do you think some of the reason people don't come back to farms is they they think about their family life and just maybe how much dad wasn't around or how stressed mom and dad were?
0: Oh, I think that's a that's a huge driver. I mean, who wouldn't have that same issue? Take farming out of it. You see that with any job, uh, any occupation, any business. And, and some of the best business leaders, which I will fully admit, I wish I could practice more what I preach, because sometimes I do slip on this, is they've told me, When I've interviewed farmers when I was younger, you know, words of wisdom or anything. Go on vacation. Always take your family on vacation. You can borrow money for a combine. You can borrow money for a vacation. But the thing is, if if you go bankrupt, the bank will take your combine, but they will never take away your kids' memories and who you are as a dad. Take your wife out. Remind her why she fell in love with you. She did not fall in love with the farm. She fell in love with you. And make sure she knows that. So, like any relationship, harvest season is hard. There'll be nights where I just sleep in the track, to be all honest. I know I can work a 28 hour day shift with three Red Bulls and a box of Pop Tarts with four hours of sleep in between. I just don't come home. Cell phone technology is awesome. Talk to my kids, FaceTime them. But then once it's over, like right now we're slowing down, I will make every dinner every night. I make all my wife's favorites, gourmet, everything. We have date night. We have family movie night, you name it. I mean, I think, doc. I don't know how emergency room doctors do it. They have the same schedule where they may be on call for like five days straight and never see their family, especially in like time we're in with COVID. I've learned from both my parents and my in-laws that, that you don't, you don't stay together for kids, but you also, you stay in a marriage not to stay together the same forever. You stay in a marriage to grow together. And, Like my wife knows, our farm has changed. She's used to it. In fact, the funny story is, I was working all the time, and she's a city girl. She has no clue about this. She thinks cow pies are landmines, and she bought her first pair of boots that were bright purple or some god-awful color. I just got made fun of by all my buddies. I remember that. But February, the month of February, is like my slowest month, and I did everything nice to her which she thought in turn, I was cheating on her at the time because I was just being way too nice. And I was around, I was buying her flowers and everything. And then come April, I disappeared again. And she's been with me long enough. Now she knows that come February, I'm going to be the sweetest, best husband ever come April. She's going to be a single mom, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's changing as we have kids. Uh, or as our kids get older, they ride with me in the tractor. Uh, we prioritize, I don't leave early in the mornings anymore. I, in fact, I had this meeting scheduled for when it did, because I make sure I get my kids out the door for school. And I, I make them breakfast every day. And we talk about what's going on. It's, it's important. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's just how you prioritize life and everyone does it differently. And everyone has their own spin.
1: Yeah, I think this whole family unit is a maybe under-discussed role in in farming, because it's not just the farmer in the field that is the success to make this happen. And typically, if you want any sort of generational succession, then by default, you need to have another generation. You know, in in talking to you, you can hear happy guy, you know, content. What is that side of the... I'm not content. (laughs) Well... Uh, on the road to contention, what what is that side of the family who doesn't support your decision to be a farmer missing in all this?
0: Uh, honestly, that's painful. Uh, when I started farming and I started taking over, I changed the way we farmed quite a bit. And my grandfather it was myself, my dad, and my grandfather, and my grandfather. Really didn't like the way I changed the farm. And he told me that. He's very disappointed in me. Well, shortly before he died, uh we were talking and he wasn't doing well. And he, he looked at me and actually told me the first for the first time he was proud of what the farm had become. He finally grasped what we were changing and he asked me to promise to never give it up. And growing up through a bad divorce my grandparents took care of me. So excuse me here. I always get choked up about
1: no, it's good. You're good.
0: So, so... I promised my grandpa I would ensure his legacy as my own. And... That was a major driving force. I mean... That man has taught me so much about the way I live today on loving his family. I mean, him and my grandma were never huge farmers. They were—they weren't even big. They were—they were—they were, they were, they were a rather poor group of farmers. They never had a lot of money, but they raised such a loving family, and, and, and I think. I think that's something that it's hard for people to always relate. But, but one thing about a family farm when it is multi-generation, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big expectation that you know, that you have to respect those before you because it's not just your home. And, you don't want to tread on those who came before
1: you. The show got me thinking. Sure. It's important not to tread on those who came before. But what about those who are going to come after? How do you make sure the kids keep coming back to the farm generation after generation? I mean, if you think about generational switches, your daughters want to take over. I mean, they they might want to do things how they want to do things. But do you think that maybe some change resistance from the previous generation keeps younger people away?
0: Oh, oh, undoubtedly. So, so in our, 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 our agronomy business that we run, one of the number one things I do is I work with the kids generation. Another, I call them kids, but they may be twenty-five. They might be thirty. And what any young person wants to do, and why they want to introduce change, is because they want to show their parents that they're worth something. They want to put a stake in the ground. And says I can bring value, right? There. If you have a kid that just wants to coast along, that that farm won't last a generation. They they. But if you have someone passionate and driven, they want to make a difference. Uh, it is hard. like No doubt, it is incredibly hard. But, but if I also have a 10,000-acre operation and my kids aren't going to come back to it, I'm going to look for a replacement. If I don't, that's poor business planning. I mean, let's... Farming is a family. Uh, yes, most of um, I have multiple entities or corporations, but it's a family-based operation. It's illegal in Iowa for companies or entities outside of just individuals to own farm ground, even. But but it's just like a lot of businesses that when you have a spot where you don't have a The next generation to turn your business over to, you find one. And if you're a person who wants to farm, yes, you may not be able to farm exactly in the small town that you grew up that you want to farm, but you you can go where there's opportunities. My daughter wants to be a scientist, so she's ten right now. So we do science experiments, and some of the things we'll do is we can do science experiments on the farm really easily. So we. Show her science and how they're doing stuff, and what scientists do, or which scientists I work with, and what they study, and what they create.
1: Maybe we should be asking ourselves are we even supposed down. to want our kids to come back to the farm if they don't choose farming for themselves?
0: It's farming is an industry that touches so many other industries that it's easy. It's, it's like, you know, the seven steps to Kevin Bacon, right?
1: For younger listeners, I can explain. The Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, sometimes six, is a game you can play where you name an actor and have to connect that actor back to Kevin Bacon, linked by the films that they've appeared in together. It's a great parlor game. End of a shell. It's a little bit like farming.
0: Uh, there. Farming, you can touch almost any industry within two.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: So they can see everything they want and it all links through farming. So they're excited to be in it. And that's, I'm hoping that that's what gets them interested. But if they aren't, I don't want them to. I also tell them you have to do what you absolutely love. Uh, in fact, anybody, I always tell them. If, if you, if you hate your job, you're never going to be successful at it. and. If you want to own a business and you hate your job, you're never it's going to fail because you're just not going to have the drive.
1: When it comes to inspiring budding farmers to pick up the trade, the key might be to start them young and let them come to the trade naturally. I asked Hannah what she thought about bringing other 20-somethings into farming. What would it take to get people who aren't familiar with the field to join it? How might she bring the kids back?
2: I think I'm very well still walking through that path and trying to figure that out myself. Um, but the biggest thing I think is important is reviving rural communities and making them a great place to live. There's no, you won't want to live in a place in, unless it's a great place to live. So if we can have these communities be thriving and have somewhat of a nightlife where kids coming back from college aren't bored every night or, you know, just those different aspects. And I think that internet has changed the whole thing where people aren't just working um, in the office, especially with COVID, but um, like, they're, they're not necessarily moving to the cities anymore. You can work from a rural community in Nebraska and be working for a company in California, working from home. And I think that is a big aspect, when a big opportunity almost to revive those rural communities and just really focus on trying to make them the best place to live.
1: Or, as Vichelle puts it, when it comes to inspiring the next generation.
0: And farming today is different than those of the past. Like my dad was doing chores when he was five years old. I physically have to come up with work. And make more work for our operation if I want my girls to do anything on it. I mean, we want our girls to do it, but no way am I putting a little kid in a 500 horsepower tractor that could, she could get hurt, she could get other people hurt and, and I really don't think I'll be able to expose my girls in a true sense of what farming is until they're mid-teens or later. It's just not already ingrained in their lives, right? It's not, this is what I do. A lot of pride is, this is who we are, and this is what we do. Well, they don't, they have, I like seeing what dad does. I like, he's happy. Or they also see that with their mom. I mean, so, so, inherently, there's always pride in farming. I don't know a single farmer that doesn't say, I don't want their kids to farm. You... you One of your most farmers I know, I can tell you for a fact, they are farming also to have their kids farm someday. But kids are kids. Even if you have identical twins, they are not the same person. And you have to choose to give up your farm to them as much as they have to choose to take your farm.
1: Why are more and more younger generations choosing farming, much like their parents? The answers aren't as simple as they seem. Sure, there's economics and logistics involved, but there's also education, passion, pride, and above all, family. But is that enough to keep bringing young people back to an industry that historically loses more workers than it gains? As we look to the future of farming, will the next generation and generations after that, see the same opportunities first-generation farmers found when they made their claim on the land? If not, how can we create those opportunities and in doing so, paint a portrait of farming that works for everyone, kids, adults, and families alike? How can we continue to make our ancestors proud while ensuring that our children can prosper? That's it for episode 13 of The Growing Debate. Special thanks to Michelle White of Eden Ridge Farms and Hannah Esch of Oak Barn Beef for sharing their farms, families, and stories with us. The Growing Debate is sponsored by Corteva Agriscience. If you enjoyed this inside look at modern agriculture and our world, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'm Diego Footer. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to explore, email me, growingdebate@corteva.com.
2: Thanks for listening.